as he continues his studies down in the master seminary down there. But last week we looked at um, basically the the human constitution. We we talked about what what makes up a human, an individual, and we talked about um, the body, the soul, the spirit, and other things as well. And uh, the reason we did that is because it sets us up for properly understanding our our eternal glorified body. And so we, we have to understand what we have now, <laughs> or we're not going to understand what we're going to get. And so last week, just briefly, we looked at verses 35 and 36 of chapter 15, and we looked at three things, basically, the, the foolishness of some of the questions they were asking. They were struggling with not necessarily the resurrection of Christ, but their own resurrection. They, they didn't quite understand what was going to happen to them when they died. And so because of their pagan backgrounds, does the body just go and, and be eliminated? What, what happens to it? They had a lot of questions. And so Paul points out the foolishness of their questions, and we looked at basically three things there. We talked about the thinking behind these questions really contrasts the seriousness of faith. They had a hard time understanding uh, what it meant to have a serious faith, to be able to put their, their trust in something they can't see um, just because of, of their cultural background. And then we also looked at the teaching of the culture, had a great difficulty uh, absorbing with simple faith what God had said. They always questioned things. And then lastly, we looked at the traditions of Judaism, some of the traditions of Judaism believe that when you died, if you died a crippled, you would be raised a crippled. If you died blind, you would be raised blind, um, which was kind of crazy. It doesn't give you much to look forward to, but that's what they believed. And so that's why they struggled a lot with the, the resurrection of their own bodies. But today we're going to be looking at some simple facts. We're going to get through two of them, I think. Um, simple facts about our resurrection body. A lot of people ask that question, well, what's it going to be like when we have our glorified body? What will it be? Will we be able to, you know, walk through walls? Will we be floating around? What's going to happen? Well, we're going to touch on some of that today. Uh, we're just going to kind of open up that, that door a little bit and give you a little glimpse of it. We're going to cover two of the three points, but I'm going to go over the three points with you just to, so you have them there. They're in your outline. And the first one is, is verses 36 to 38 of our text in 1 Corinthians 15. And it talks about one of the facts about our resurrection body. It's relationship to your present body makes you the same person. A lot of people ask when we come back and when we get our glorified body, will we be able to tell who each, each of us are, or are we all going to be the same? We're all just going to be a bunch of clones in heaven. Um, well, I think we're going to be able to, we're going to be the same person. And we're going to look at that early on here. The relationship to our present body makes you the same person. But then, in contrast to that, in verses 31 to 41, and we're going to cover this hopefully to do, the recreation, because that's what God has to do. He has to recreate your body. If you think about it, when someone dies, all sorts of things happen to bodies. Some are buried, some are entombed, some are cremated, some are lost in the sea, eaten by sharks, whatever. So, uh, you know, God's going to have to recreate your, your body. And its recreation makes you a different person. 
Kind of seems contradictory, but we'll talk our way through this. And then the third thing, it's realities makes you a greater person. You're going to be a greater person in glory. So you're the same person, but you're a different person, and you're going to be a greater person than you've ever been in your entire life. Um, That sounds good, doesn't it? I hope. Doesn't sound bad to me. The older we get, I think sometimes, you know, we, we realize we need some change here going on, right? Things are starting to hurt and, and not work and things. And, and it's just like, boy, I, I can use a new body right about now. That would be nice. So we're going to look up, look at these, these facts and uh, understand it. But I want to ask you to stand in honor of God's word as we just read through our text, beginning in verse 35. And uh, thank you for standing in honor of God's word, verse 35 of chapter 15, 1 Corinthians. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? And what kind of body do they come? Uh, You foolish person. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body as he chooses as he has chosen, and each to each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, another for fish. Verse 40, there are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of, of the heavenly is of one kind, and the glory of an earthly is another. There is one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon. And another glory of the stars, for stars differ from star to star. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It's raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body... There is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. And last, Adam, became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural. And then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. Verse 48. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as the man of heaven, so are also those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. Father, we thank you for your word. We ask you to bless it to our hearts, our minds. Give us uh, alert mind now as we uh, peruse through this text. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So the resurrection of the believer's body is what we're talking about here in chapter 15. And we introduced this two weeks ago, and today we're going to look at, first of all, its relationship, our future body's relationship to our present body makes us the same person. Um, First of all, you have a simple principle here at the end of verse 36. This isn't hard to understand, but it's, it's pretty simple. And the, the principle is simply the requirement of death. The requirement of death. Look at what he says in verse 36. What you sow does not come to life unless what? Unless it dies. Uh, now, if you're a farmer, you completely understand that. 
Uh, some of us who aren't farmers may struggle with that. Uh, you can have a grain of wheat and you can show it to people and you can carry it around in your pocket and you can do lots of things with it, keep it as a treasure, whatever, but it won't do a single thing for you unless it dies, unless you put it in the ground. That's how it works. Then it can bring forth more grain or fruit. This is how God has prepared it. And that principle Jesus himself even referred to when he was referring to himself and all, all people as it relates to the resurrection. If you remember over in John chapter 12, verse 23 and 24, Jesus said this. He was answering his, his critics there. He says, and, and Jesus answered them, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Verse 24, truly, truly, I say to you, in other words, pay attention, this is important. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, there it is, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears, what? Much fruit. So death is a requirement. It has to be. There's a requirement of death. We have to die if we're going to get our resurrected body. That has to happen first. And we'll we'll talk about that a little bit more. But in verse 37, there's something else here. You see the reaping of what is sown. In verse 37, he says, And what you sow is not the body that is to be. In other words, you don't die in your glorified body, and then you come back in your glorified body. No. It says, you don't sow the body that is to be, but a bare kernel. You know, when you, when you plant wheat, you don't plant a whole wheat plant. What do you do? You plant the bare kernel. You plant a seed. The word bare there literally in the original language means naked. Completely naked. All alone. All by itself. So he says... You know what, this, this bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or some other grain, he's, he's drawing out a principle here that you reap whatever is sown. If you plant a grain of wheat, you're not going to get a stock of corn. It's kind of simple. But he needs us to understand this. So you reap what is sown. Thirdly, we see here the resource from which our new bodies come. The resource from which our new bodies come. Where does it come from? I mean, our old bodies are gone, right? They're disintegrated, they're rotted, they're whatever, gone. Well, where does this new one come from? Look at what verse 38 says. It says, but God gives it a new body. It's a little different than what produced your present body. So he recreates it. He comes up with a brand new body for us. That's why we don't have all the aches and the pains and, and we see and we can do things a little differently then. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul points out what this is like. Turn over there, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. It talks about this, this future body and our present body as well. And it kind of compares them. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 1, Paul says, For we know that if the tent, that is our earthly home, is destroyed, our body, is he's using that as an illustration, a tent, it's just temporary, in other words. This isn't what we're going to be like for all eternity. 
If this is destroyed, we have, look at a building from God. Not a tent, but a building. God has something prepared for us. A house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent, in this body, this physical body, we groan. Have you grown lately? <laughs> you probably groan when you got out of bed this morning, right? Man, where'd the week go to? Where'd the weekend go to? Now I can start all over. Right? We groan in this tent. Verse 2. Longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. We long for that glorified body. If indeed by putting it on, we may not be found naked. See, remember I said we have the body, the soul, and the spirit. Some people believe there's three. Some people believe the two, the, the soul, and the spirit go together. It's kind of what I tend to believe scripture teaches just because that's how it started. It started with the dust. God formed man out of the dust and then he what? He breathed life into him. So however you want to dice it up. But you have a body and you have a, a soul spirit. And when you die, your physical body is separated from your spirit or your soul. The Bible says... To die is what? Absent from the body, what? Present with the Lord. Well, your body's not present. Your physical body's not present with the Lord. Your body's in a casket somewhere in the ground. Or whatever happens to it. But your, your spirit, your soul, is present with the Lord. That's what happens. That's what we have to look forward to. And so what God says is, well, this body, physical body, you're leaving behind is just going to be gone. And so what does he have to do? He has to recreate. He creates a body for us. And it's not going to be a physical body. It's going to be a spiritual body. It's going to be a glorified body. And that's the heavenly dwelling. That So our soul is not naked. Our soul has a body to dwell in. Verse 4. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened. Not that we should be unclothed, but that we should be further clothed. So that what is mortal may be swallowed up in life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God. God has prepared this for us. Who has given us the spirit as a guarantee. A deposit. A engagement ring you might say. So that's why we can sing songs like. You know he shall hold me fast. I mean because we know. If we know Christ, if we put our faith and trust in Christ and he has transformed us and he has saved us, there's no undoing that deal. That's impossible. Why? Because God has given us a guarantee of his Holy Spirit. Verse 6, 2 Corinthians 5. So we are always, look at that, always of good courage. Irrelevant what happens down here. It doesn't matter what the government's doing. It doesn't matter who the president is. We're to be of good courage. Why? Because this world is what? It's not our home. We're just here temporarily. We're passing through. Amen? The quicker, the better, as far as I'm concerned. Because the wheels are coming off the cart quickly. Doesn't mean we give up. Doesn't mean we don't pray for our leaders and we don't pray for revival. And we pray that God would get a hold of people and everything. We, we want that to happen. But you know what? We don't know God, God's time frame. We don't know what's going to happen. That's why we're to be of good courage. Because God does have a 
plan. He says, we know that while we are at home in the body, what, we are away from the Lord. We're away from the Lord. I mean, we know that God is with us, but in heaven we will be literally in the presence of our Lord and Savior. And that raises a lot of questions. A lot of times at funerals you'll, you'll hear people say things like, you know, yeah, good old Uncle Charlie, he's up there in heaven looking down and, you know, probably missing us. No, trust me, he's not. When you go to heaven, you're not missing this place. This is the last thing on your mind. You're just joyous to be in the presence of your Lord and Savior, to be clothed in a glorious body. So when we're in this body here, we're away from the Lord. In verse 7, it says, for we walk by faith, not by sight. You know, everything that we see points to doom. (laughs) But what do we do? We walk by faith. God has a purpose. God has a plan. His plan will be carried out. We're not going to walk by sight. We're not going to be concerned with what our eyes are seeing day in and day out. If you do, you're going to go into panic mode real quick. Verse 8, it says, yes, we are of good courage. There's that word again. He says, always be of good courage in verse 6. But then at the middle part here of of verse, or beginning of verse 8, he says, we are of good courage. And we would rather be away from what? This body and home with the Lord. Amen? Amen. I hope that's your, your, I hope you're not dug in so deep here on earth that if the Lord were to come back this afternoon, you'd be going, oh man, the Giants game, man. What are we, or, or the football, what's, what's going to happen? I don't think that's going to be any concern. It's not going to be any concern at all. So he says here, so whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to what? It says to please him. That's, that's, that's the, the sole end of men, to glorify God, right? That's what we live for. Verse 10, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body. Look at what it says, whether good or evil. Okay, whether good or evil. So there's going to be reward and there's going to be um, some discipline going on there. Maybe loss of reward for believers. But very clear here from this passage, God is going to give us a new body. It's not been made with human hands. It's not the result of Human genetics, it is designed by God in all eternity in the heavens. And it's, that's what we're waiting for by faith. We're waiting to take a hold of that new body, this wonderful new body that God will give us one day. Go back to uh, 1 Corinthians 15. Now look again at verse 38. Because not only do we see here the requirement of death and the reaping what of sown is the resource where this body is going to come from. It's going to come from God because he gives it to us. But what's the reason? Look at what verse 38 says. It says, as he has chosen, God has chosen. My new body, guess what, is the plan of the very God creator that made us the first time. 
It pleases him to do this for us. Our God has set this all up. He's planned it all out. Guess what? So our, our current bodies are actually meant to decay. They're actually meant to slowly fall apart over time. That's, that's, what, that's what God designed them to be. Because they're not our eternal bodies. So you know what? The joints wear out. The eyes grow dim. The ears grow dull. All those things happen over a period of time. I don't care how many vitamins you take. I don't care how many supplements you take. Sooner or later, your body's going to fall apart. And eventually, pending the Lord's return, guess what? You're going to breathe your last and you're going to die. This physical body will one day die. The older we get, the more crusty we get. Everything hurts more and more. And we become aware of that each and every day. And what do we do? We try to work hard and try to look young and you know, try to change what's actually happening. Now, we should take care of our bodies, obviously. We should be a good steward of our bodies. But you know what? The fact of the matter is the older we get, what God is doing here is God is building our anticipation for what is coming. That's what he's doing. You know, if you go buy a brand new car and it doesn't have a scratch on it, it's brand new and everything, boy, it smells like brand new car. You're not really interested in getting another new car. Why? Because you got one, right? You, you bought it, you went out and looked, you bought it and drove it home. And, boy, this is my new car. This is great. You're not down at the car dealer next day. Well, I want to buy another new car. Or maybe you are. I don't know. But most people don't. Why? Because they're satisfied with what they have. Well, you know what? Talk to that person in 25 years after the car's got dings and scratches and nothing works in it anymore. What are they doing? They, they start to anticipate, okay, I, I got to get another car. I got to get a new car. Why? Because the one I have is worn out. This is what God has planned for us in our bodies, that they do wear out. He wrote so in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16. He says, so we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away. Do you ever think of that? You're wasting away every day. With every tick-tock of the clock, you are wasting away. Your beauty is leaving you as I speak. Now, that may cause you concern. But he says it's wasting away. Our inner self, on the other hand, is what? Being renewed day by day. Verse 17, 2 Corinthians 4. For this light momentary affliction. What? This, this outer self that's wasting away. This momentary affliction is preparing us. He says, for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. In other words, there's nothing that's going to be able to even compare what God has prepared for us after we leave this this earth. It's amazing. Verse 18. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. So every time you get up in the mirror, remember, you're looking at something that's seen. <laughs> you're not looking at something that's unseen. For the things that are seen are transient. They're temporary. They're a vapor that just goes up into the air and it disappears. It dissipates. But the things that are unseen are what? Are eternal. They're permanent. So you have this outward man that's decaying. The inward man that's being renewed day by day. That's, that's a very interesting concept. 
If you think about it and you really trust in that and you realize that, you know what? You don't feel so bad when you have the aches and the pains and stuff. You just realize, hey, this is part of God's process. I'm just one more day closer to glory, to my new glorified body. Now back to verse 38, back in 1 Corinthians 15. It's very interesting here that the relationship to our our present body. Look at what it says. In verse 38, and to each kind of seed its own body. Each kind of seed its own body. That's why we said the relationship to your present body makes you the same person. If you look around this room, we're all different, right? We're all different. Well, in heaven, we're not just going to be all the same. We're gonna, I think we're going to maintain our personality, and I think a lot of that is not in our body, our physical body. Where is it? It's in our soul. It's in our spirit. It's the way God creates us. We have certain likes. We have certain dislikes. And God knows that, and he prepared us that way. But it says in verse 38, and to each kind of seed its own body. This is very interesting language. Once again, if you're a farmer, you completely get this. The word seed here in the original language in Greek is literally the word for sperm. That's what the word means. And it talks about the genetics of life. And what he's saying is every seed in its own body, every seed has its own DNA, you might say, its own genetic life. Put it another way, another, another way, everything reproduces. What do we see in, 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 in Genesis? After its what? Kind. After its kind. After its own kind. That's what the Bible teaches. That's taught everywhere in the Bible. In fact, the little phrase to each kind of seed, its own body, is used over and over again. And I gave you, I think I gave you some passages there. Or maybe not. Um, but first of all, in Genesis chapter 1, we see this. It's, it's talking about creation. When God made things that were capable of uh, reproducing, he said, you know what? You're going to reproduce after your own kind. Now, that flies in the face of all evolutionary thought that our, our young people are taught in college and in, in grade school and everything else. You know, evolution is this fact in, in a lot of people's minds, and it's, it's, that's the furthest thing from the truth. It's a lie from the pit of hell. In evolution, thought sees basically migration from one cell creatures all the way up to fully blown human beings. That's what evolution teaches. It all started in this primordial soup and, you know, eventually after billions and billions and billions of years, they kind of arranged themselves and they became a little blob of something and then a frog and then well, eventually an ape and then a man. That's the paraphrased version, but that's basically it. And it's all a lie. And the reason I know it's a lie is because God's word tells us how we got here. It tells us very clearly in Genesis that God created us. In Genesis 1, when God created something, when he created plants, when he created fruits and animals, and even all of humanity, Adam and Eve... What were? They were all capable of reproducing. They were created in their what? Adult 
mature forms. Adam wasn't a baby. He didn't create him as a baby, and they had to wait till they could have children till later on. No, they were created as adults. And everything else was created in its maturity as well, all the animals and everything. And God said that they were able to produce and bear fruit, it says, after their own kind. Genesis 1.11, and God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruits bearing fruit, fruit trees bearing fruit, in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so, in verse 12, it says, the earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit, in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. That word kind, according to its kind, in the Hebrew, is mean, M-I-Y-N. M-I-Y-N, if you want to spell it. It's used some 31 times. It's used in Genesis 1. It's also used, which is rather interesting, not just in Genesis 1, but it's also used in Leviticus 11 and Deuteronomy chapter 14. And you say, well, what in the world is it used there for? It's always used, speaking of plants, grass, fruit trees, fish, birds, cattle, insects, even humans. Now, People argue about this, Jews, Christians, secular scientists. They all want to know what does it mean when it says after its kind. What does that word mean mean? That's the argument. Some people say, well, that's referring to species. That's what that means. But there's over a million species, according to any taxidermist, you can ask them, And there's also many variations within the species. We know that scientifically. There are mutations and so forth. Now, we're not in a science class here, but the fact of the matter is the Bible's account, whether you believe it or not, you may not believe it. You may believe in evolution here this morning. I don't know. But the Bible, make no mistake about it, doesn't stutter when it speaks. What it does say is whatever this kind is, whatever mean means, is you can't have another kind coming from a different kind. That's what that means. In other words, everything reproduces after its own kind. You don't plant a lemon tree and then take the seeds from the lemon tree, plant it in the ground, and grow a cantaloupe. You say, that's ridiculous. That's what evolution teaches, basically. So you have to really come to understand that. Everything reproduces after its own kind. So the thought of, that's what the Bible teaches. And so the thought of man coming from apes, that doesn't fly. Why? Because we're not apes. We're human beings. And God says everything reproduces after its own kind. So it's totally contrary to any evolutionary thought. And so some people, some Christians say, well, you know, I believe, you know, God could have created it and then used evolution as a means to, because there's a gap there in Genesis and they go into all these theatrics and gymnastics trying to squeeze evolution into the Bible. I mean, the Bible is fairly clear. 
God said, let there be light. And there was light. And let there... and it goes on and on and on. He just spoke things into existence. I mean, wouldn't that be an incredible thing to be there and see that? First of all, nobody's seen it. Nobody's ever witnessed evolution in any form. And on the other hand, nobody's really witnessed creation, the original creation. That's why they're called theories. They're not facts. They don't want you to believe that. They want you to believe, oh, no, evolution is fact. Just go to the museum and you can see all the apes, you know, lined up. They don't tell you half of them aren't even real. They're fake. One of those guys standing in line was from a pig's tooth. But it's still there in the museum. It's ridiculous. And our children are being taught things like this in public schools. And you wonder why we have such a problem in our society. When you start to believe that you're just an animal, guess what? You're going to act like an animal. And that's what we see in our culture. You know, it's not a big deal then to kill an unborn baby. It's just a blob of nothing. Yeah, granny's too old. Just put her out of her misery. There's, there's no sanctity of life anymore. Why? Because they've taken the creator of life and they shoved it in the closet. They don't want anything to do with them. And they recreated a lie that says, no, 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 God's not in the picture. It's not in the beginning God. So in Genesis 1, we see this after its kind being used in creation. And it mentions certain animals who are after their kind. But what's interesting in in Leviticus chapter 11 and in Deuteronomy 14, it uses the same terminology, after its kind. But what it's talking about there, it's not talking about creation, it's talking about dietary laws for the Jews. Now, if you know anything about Judaism, they have pretty strict, kosher, it's called dietary laws. They're allowed to eat certain things, they're not allowed to eat certain things. And in Leviticus chapter 11 and in Deuteronomy chapter 14, it's kind of giving the regulations for the Jewish population on how, what they should eat. Certain animals were clean and certain animals were unclean. And so what it mentions, it mentions certain animals who are after their kind. So if, if they're not supposed to eat pigs or anything like that after its kind... And it's a clue here that they are safe because they they don't have any transitory stages by which they would go to a clean animal and potentially tap into an unclean animal because the two aren't mixed. They're after their own kind. So a clean animal would remain kosher because everything reproduces after its own kind. And they're, they're, these words are being used of plants and trees and fruit trees, especially grass, fish, birds, cattle, insects, everything, even human life. Everything reproduces after its own kind. Now let's jump back to verse 39, and we'll come back to this in a moment. But we said the first thing we wanted to know, wanted you to know that, it, that our future body's relationship to the resurrection body is is based upon our present body, makes you the same person. Okay, it makes you the same person. But let's go to the next step here. And this almost seems contradictory, but you'll understand it when we talk 
our way through this in verse 39. It's, cre- it's recreation, the recreation of our glorified body makes you a different person. Okay, it's, it's connection to our original body makes you the same person. We're, we're going to be the same person in heaven. But at the same time, we're going to be a different person. First of all, notice in verse 39 um, the importance of a basic principle. And once again, this is not evolutionary thought. It's contrary to that. So if you're trained in evolutionary thought, you're just going to have to hold on. But look at the importance of the basic principle. What's he say there in verse 39? He says, for not all what flesh is the same. That is not what evolution teaches. Evolution teaches, no, 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 we're all connected, we're all the same. It's just different time stamps upon where we're at in our progression as we evolve. Now here's where the Greek language is going to help us. Especially with the word another. Another. Um, All flesh is not the same. But But there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, another for fish. See that? Well, that word another is interesting because there are different words here that have different meanings. In the English, it looks the same. But in the original language, it's a little different. So let's start with the first two illustrations. In verse 39, first of all, you see physical creatures. He says, for all flesh is not the same, and he starts to list off physical creatures. Where there's one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, another for fish. So he breaks them up into those four categories. Humans, fish, beasts, or cattle, whatever, and birds. That basically summarizes all of creation. Every time it says another is, is birds and another is fish. You don't have fish coming from birds or birds coming from fish. It's another. It means, that word means another of the same kind. Birds come from birds. And I know this sounds kind of basic, but we have to kind of revisit this because there's so much confusion out there on this today. And so there's four different categories who reproduce after their own kind and I guess the good news is, is, you know, when you get to heaven, you're not going to be a fish. <laughs> you're not going to be a dog. You're not going to be a cat. You're going to be just who you are. You're going to be a human being. So don't even spend time, well, I wonder what I was in my previous life. I wonder what I'll be in my next. You know, people are into that stuff. You know, that, that's ridiculous. Because everything reproduces after its own kind. But even those four categories... When he lists them out there, humans, beasts, fish, and birds, even those four categories, he uses the word another of the same kind. Even though they're different categories, he says within that category, it's all the same kind. In other words, there's one common denominator. By the usage of the word another of the same kind, a loss in the Greek, A-L-L-O-S, there's something that's the same about all four even though they're different. Four different categories, but there's some common denominator. And though they don't cross over, there is something the same. Well, what is it? 
Well, if you look at humans, fish, beasts, and birds, most of us would conclude pretty simply that, well, they're all what? They're all living beings, right? They're all living beings, living animate beings, humans, beasts, birds, fish. Well, you see these categories, but look at verse 41. Skip verse 40 for the time being. Go down to verse 41. But if you look at verse 41, he doesn't talk about physical creatures. He talks about material creation. He's giving two illustrations. One of physical creatures, four different categories, humans, fish, beasts, and birds. There are four different categories, but they have one common denominator. They're all living animate beings. But then in verse 41, he says, there is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, another glory of the stars, for stars differ from star in glory. So he he brings up another illustration. He's not talking about physical creatures. He's talking about material creation. I don't think anybody here would say, oh yeah, you know, the man in the moon, he is a living being. There's really a man in the... No. We, we realize it's, it's, a, it's, it's a piece of earth, a piece of dirt, you know, suspended over the earth, I guess. We wouldn't call it a living being. It's a material creation. And so you look at that. He gives us three different categories there. What are they? The sun, the moon, and the stars. Now, we know the, the moon is simply what? A reflection of what? Of the sun, right? Remember your science class, all that? Uh, The moon simply reflects the light of the sun. And we know that the sun is really what? It's a star, right? That's That's what it's known as. And he says here that one star differs from another star in glory, or you could use the word splendor, I guess. And here again is another of the same kind, but it has differences. And that's really what he's pointing out here. See, there's a simple principle here, but it's drawn out of this kind of a convoluted, complex thought. In terms of living creatures, there are four different kinds. They all reproduce after their own kind. They never cross over. But there's something the same about all of them at the same time. And in the case of the sun, moon, and stars... It's the word another of the same kind, same word. Again, it uses the same thing. In other words, there's something that is the same about all these, but there's also something different to each one. Well, what is the same? It tells us it's the word glory or splendor or radiance. They all have that in common. Even though the moon is not a star, what it reflects is the glory of the sun. Therefore, the moon has a glory. I mean, all you have to do is go out on a a dark night, right? The other night, I saw the moon, and it was just amazing. It's like, wow. Now, that's that's just a reflection, right, of the sun. But, I mean, you can't stand there on a dark night out in the middle of nowhere, and you see the moon coming up over the horizon, this big... I mean, that's glorious. That's splendor. But from a technical scientific standpoint, it's simply, what's it doing? It's reflecting the sun. That's all it's doing. 
And there's an interesting principle there, too, a spiritual principle. In the Bible, our Lord is called the Son of Righteousness, S-U-N, the Son of Righteousness, which has what? Inherent light. The sun doesn't reflect light. It, It produces light. But in the Bible, we are called lights. Over in Philippians chapter 2, verse 14, he says, Do all things without grumbling or disputing, so that you may be blameless and innocent children of God, without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, that's us right now, among whom you shine as lights in the world. That word light there, by the way, is the same word in the original language that's used for moon. Do you see the principle? We only reflect the light of the sun, of Christ. So the glory of our life is the light of the Lord himself in this beautiful illustration that he's given us. But here we got the sun, we have moon, and we have stars. And we all know another interesting thing When you look at the stars, and he points it out here, every star is different from every other star. There's no two stars alike, just like there's no two snowflakes alike. I mean, if you've ever studied any astronomy at all, it's a very interesting science. Not astrology. Get rid of that garbage, right? Astronomy. That's the study of of stars and the such. But when you study astronomy, it shows us the glory and the majesty of our creator God. It's remarkable what they can see in the heavens. Even in our own galaxy, the Milky Way, there are millions of stars. And they will tell you, every scientist will tell you, every astronomer will tell you that every single star is proven to be a different star from another star. There's no two stars alike. Just like snowflakes. I mean, what does that show us? God loves variety. God loves variety. That's why I get so upset when I see certain churches who are so legalistic and everybody's the same and everybody dresses the same and everybody talks the same and everybody looks the same. That's not what God wants. God loves variety. Just look around the room, we're all different. You're not, you're not like any other person in this room or in this world. God created you special. Now that can be frightening, <laughs> maybe, or a blessing, depending on who you are. But there's not one single person in this entire world that's anybody like you. You're unique. You're different. Now, there are some things that are the same about all of us, right? I mean, we're all human beings. We all have some function, our, our animation, our, our physical life. There are some things that are the same among us, but there's not one of us that is really the same. Uh, you almost feel, when you say that, like you're contradicting yourself. We're all the same, but we're all different. (laughs) In other words, we're the same in being different. Or you could say, 
We are different in the fact that we're the same. <laughs> I mean, I don't know, whatever, pick whatever you want. But it's a very interesting thought. When he recreates you, when he gives you your new body, you're going to be a different person. You're going to be a different person. Why? Well, look at verse 40. Verse 40, it's nestled between these two illustrations, but it gives us a clue to this body. Look at the insight we gain in verse 40. But the glory of the heavenly is of, what's it say? One kind. See that? And the glory of the earthly is of another kind. So here we are back to this another kind business. And in verse 40, he, he says a very simple truth. There are also, in addition to these truths, about physical creatures. He, he just named the, the terrestrial, the heavenly, and he just named them, the four categories. You have the, the humanity, you have beasts, you have the birds and the fish. And he says, basically, there are earthly bodies and there are heavenly bodies. That's what he says there, the glory of the heavenly and the glory of the earthly. So the bodies that are earthly are one, and the, the glory of the celestial is one, and the glory of the, the heavenly or terrestrial is another. So you have the glory of the earthly, the glory of the, the earthly and the heavenly. But what's interesting, in your Bibles, and you want to mark this, the fact that the word another in verse 40, where he points it out there, at the end, the glory of the earthly is of another, or heavenly is of one kind, where he points it out there in verse 39 and 41. What is the word? It's another, but guess what? It's not a loss. Remember the other one I said is a loss, A-L-L-O-S? Here, it's another of a different kind. The other one was another of the same kind. We reproduce another of the same kind. We produce after our kind. But here, it's heteros, which means of a different kind. Interesting. Over in Isaiah, back in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 26. Isaiah chapter 40 Verse 26, he says, lift up your, your eyes on high and see who created these. He who brings out their, law, their host by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might. And because he is strong in power, not one is missing. What's this mean? This means God has a plan. You know, this, this means we get the word uh, heterogeneous from that word heteros. It means different, of a different kind altogether. Well, here's the point. You have the living creatures, you have the physical creatures, humanity, beasts, birds, fish, are totally different than the sun, the moon, and the stars. That's simple. And yet the glory of the earthly is one thing. And it's fading, it's passing, this earthly body is decaying, eventually it will die. But the glory of the heavenly is something completely different, of a different kind. 
What he says has to deal with our resurrection body. In other words, your resurrection body is going to make you a different person, even though you're still going to be the same person in some sense. It's a hard passage, but when you stay with it and you understand it and you're careful, it brings out some tremendous truths. There's something in us that will be the same. We are the same person, even though we will have a new body. And according to the Bible, the new body is a heavenly body. It doesn't come from the same source that our earthly body comes from. God is going to create it for us. He's going to recreate it. It's made in the heavens. It is eternal in the heavens. It's brand new. That's what we have to look forward to. It's different totally than what you have now. And that's what we're going to look at next week. Is its realities make you a greater, greater person. Something to look forward to. Amen? Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you that we can delve deep into these scriptures and pray that you would give us the grace to understand what Paul was saying. Sometimes it's confusing, to be honest. But it kind of makes sense when you look at it on the whole. That, yeah, our our future body is going to be have a relationship to our present body. It's going to make us the same person. But when he recreates our glorified body, we're going to be a completely different person. For one reason, we're not going to have sin attached to it. And we all look forward to that. And so, Lord, we pray that you would continue to help us to understand these truths, apply them to our hearts, that we would be encouraged, that we would be built up. Lord, if there's any here this morning who has yet to put their faith or trust in Christ. Maybe God is, maybe you're calling them. Maybe, maybe they have a sense of burden of the sin they're carrying around from day to day. God wants to lift that burden from you. He wants you to cast that burden on his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, because he cares for you. He wants you to look to the cross, look to Christ. Stop trying to figure it out on your own. Stop trying to be religious and And be a better person. You can't be good enough. Jesus himself said, if if you want to see my father, you have to be perfect as he is perfect. And none of us will ever reach perfection outside of Christ. It's only by your transforming power, by us yielding our lives and understanding that we need the forgiveness of sin that your son provides. And as we commit our lives and our hearts to you and we cry out, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. Save me from my sin. God will do that transformative work in your own heart. And one day you will understand what it means to be saved from your sin. That day can be today. And then you will have to look forward to that, that spiritual body, that complete reunion when we stand in the presence of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ one day in our glorified state. Father, we thank you. We pray you bless our fellowship across the way. Bless the food to our bodies as we partake together. And also, Lord, just, uh, Lord, we pray that you would um, continue to be gracious to our country during these days. We thank you in Jesus' precious name. All God's people said.